Open your Bible to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're going to talk about one thing today. Amen? Praise God. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Let's read together the scripture, 38 to the end of the chapter. It says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Father, we just ask today that you open our hearts and open our minds. Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate, that you would enlighten this word, this truth to us, God, to set us free. Father, we thank you for the privilege that you've given us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just ask today that God, anything that would distract us, anything that would hinder us, anything that would would be a wall of defense, a wall that would block us and hinder in any way, God, that those things be removed, be exposed, be dealt with, Father God, that we can have unhindered, unbroken relationship with you. Lord, in the love and the intimacy that you desire. Father, we thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mary chose relationship over the distractions of life. Uh, It says of Mary that she also sat at the feet of Jesus. And remember, church, relationship is the one thing that was needed. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are troubled and worried about so many things. One thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. Relationship with Christ is the one thing that is needed. If we're not in relationship with Jesus, we are lost. Your church membership, your good works, your much serving, that's all great, but those things do not mean you have a relationship with Jesus. It may mean that you're very busy doing a lot of good things, but good's not good enough. Amen? Jesus said to the rich young ruler, there's, there's none good but one, and that is God. And it's not our good works or our good things that gain us anything. It is relationship with Jesus Christ. It's being in Christ. He is our Life And Mary chose relationship over the things that could distract her. It's in relationship that we grow to know, that we grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we grow in conformity, that we become conformed to the image of Christ. Romans 8, 29 says that is our destiny, that we are destined to be conformed to the image of the Son. And so here is... Mary, and here is Martha. And you see the contrast here. It's not that Mary was, uh, that Martha was bad and what she was doing was bad, but it's, it's, it's the truth of the matter that without a relationship, our serving really is meaningless. We can serve much, we can do much, 
But Jesus came not so that we could just serve him, not so that we could have a religion based around him, but Jesus came so that we could be in relationship with him and therefore with the Father. And we talked about three legs of a strong relationship with God. And the first was discipleship. And we said discipleship is the lifelong process of renewing our mind and conforming to Christ. Mary chose the one thing that was needed. She chose to know Christ. She chose to be in relationship with Christ. And out of that relationship, she grew to know him. It says that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. And remember, that was a phrase that indicated her discipleship. That was a common term that was used for those who were disciples. I sat at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is my teacher. Jesus is my rabbi. The word rabbi was a Hebrew word that simply meant teacher. And the student of a teacher was called a disciple. Mary was the student of Jesus. But Mary was not just learning knowledge. She just was not just learning technical things about the scripture. Mary was learning of Christ. She was growing in relationship with Christ. And that is the good part that Mary chose. She sat at the feet of Jesus and she heard his word. It was a very, it was a very unconventional thing in Jesus' day to have a woman disciple. But, but the scripture tells us in Luke 8 that Jesus had many women who were his disciples. That's good news for you women. You can be a disciple of Jesus and you don't have to fear God came to save all of humanity, male and female, Jew and Greek, slave and free. It doesn't matter your color, your gender. It doesn't matter. God looks at you the same regardless of who you are and where you came from. And his desire for you is the same. His desire is for you to come into relationship with him. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor, what side of town you were born on, what country of origin you come from. God does not look at any of that. God only sees humanity and his desire is to save all men. God's will is for all men to come to repentance and to come to salvation. And God has, by his grace, opened the way for us to come into relationship. By his grace, he has done that. He has initiated relationship with us. And so discipleship, the first leg of a strong relationship with Christ, is the lifelong process. It's not, it's not a series of classes I take. It's not a course of study I complete. And when I complete that, I am now a disciple. Discipleship is a lifelong process of renewing our mind why? So that our mind will become conformed to his mind. So that my will will be aligned with his will. And so that I will come into conformity to Jesus Christ. So discipleship, prayer. Prayer is the ongoing communion and sharing between God and his children. John says in his gospel, he says, To those who believe in him, he has given the right to become, what? Children of God. And prayer, remember, is not a technical thing. Prayer is not just giving God my laundry list of things that I need for him to do or want for him to do. Prayer is our ongoing communion and sharing. It's 
God sharing his life with us and us sharing in return with God. That's what the word communion means. It means a common sharing of fellowship. And that fellowship and that communion is out of love between God and his children. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship's not the first 30 minutes of the church service. Worship's not me singing songs or me doing certain things. Worship is my lifestyle of adoring and honoring Christ. My adoration for Christ. My honoring of Christ. How? In the way that I live my life. In the way that I carry myself. In the way that I communicate. In the way that I respond. In the way that I am proactive. It's my lifestyle of adoring and honoring Christ. And so the Holy Spirit works in all three of these areas to bring us into the knowledge and the conformity of Christ. Amen? So Mary, we're looking at Mary. Mary modeled discipleship. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. She heard his word. She was a disciple being conformed to Christ. Jesus affirmed Mary's choice. He said, Martha, Mary has chosen that good part. She has recognized and she has chosen the one thing that is needed. Church, do you realize that there are a lot of things we can get busy doing? I mean, we can be busy ourselves doing all kinds of things, and they may be very good, and they may be very necessary things, but what I'm telling you is don't allow even good and even necessary things to distract you from your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can fill your life with good and necessary things, and you can be totally distracted from your relationship with Jesus Christ. Do not allow that to happen. Relationship is our choice. It's our privilege. And relationship is very important. And as Mary modeled her discipleship, her relationship with Jesus, in choosing that over the distractions, you know, we do the things that, that we really want to do. Do you realize that people do what they want to do? I mean, we can make all kinds of excuses for why we cannot do something, why we will not do something, but the reality is people do what they want to do. We go where we want to go. I mean, if there's some place you want to go bad enough, I promise you, you will eventually find a way to go there. If there's somebody you want to be in relationship bad enough with, you will find a way to be in relationship with them. Because we fundamentally do the things that we want to do. That's why I always say that, that people, what people believe, really, it comes down to what they do. People can say they believe all kinds of things, but the reality is what they do really indicates what they believe. And, and what you love the most is what you are drawn to. It's what you gravitate to. It's what you find yourself making a way for, for you to, to be there to do that. It's what we love the most. It's why Jesus responded to the question, what is the greatest commandment? And he said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Why? Because if you love God with everything that is within you, then you will gravitate to God. You will be drawn to God. Your attention will be focused on God. But if you love this, if you love the world, if you love anyone or anything more than God, then guess what? That is where the majority of your attention is going to be focused, in the things that we love. 
And that's why relationship is so important. That's why religion is not what Jesus came to establish. That's why a formula is not what this, this is all about. It's about relationship. Because out of relationship, relationship speaks of our love. It speaks of what we desire the most. The relationships that we have that are the strongest, guess what? They are the relationships that we give the most attention to. The relationships that we have, whether it's with our spouse, with our children, with our family, with our friends, the relationships in your life that are the strongest are the relationships that you find yourself paying the most attention to, sacrificing to nurture and to develop. The ones that are less important are the, the ones that, that you don't find yourself doing that. And so the question is, where is your relationship with God? I mean, who is God to you? Is God just someone who does things for you? I need God because I need him to heal me. I need him to help me financially. I need him to, to help me in my life. Is that the only reason we have a relationship with God? Because we need help? Yes, we need help, church. And God is our ever-present help in time of need. But I'm telling you, is your relationship with God greater than just the need that you might have in your life at any given moment? Are you in relationship with him because you love him? And do you realize that you love him because he first loved us? Do you realize that we weren't looking for God? God came to us. He was looking for us. And so Mary modeled relationship here. So let's look at another aspect of Mary's relationship with Christ. Let's turn over to John chapter 11. She was a disciple of Jesus. That word disciple or discipleship, I, I often think that our first reaction to that word is, is somewhat negative. We, we think of it as a work or a thing or a duty or a responsibility, you know, Churches offer discipleship classes or foundational classes. We call them different things. It's like, well, I need to go through these set of classes. And we think when we've done all that, maybe we've accomplished this discipleship thing. But the reality is I want you to think of discipleship. I want you to think of prayer. I want you to think of worship, not in terms of things that we do, not in terms of, of things on a list that we mark off as we accomplish them. I want you to think of them in terms of relationship. I mean, your relationships with the people that you love in life are not, not things that are on a list that you mark off and say, okay, I've been there, done that, now I can mark that off. I've loved my wife, now I don't have to do that anymore. No, you, it's, it's like well, some of you wives are going, gee, that's what my husband did. Hmm. No, see, it's an ongoing thing. Relationships are ongoing. They're living. They're, 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 they're living things. There are things that, that happen. We have to pay attention to them every day. And we grow them. And we grow within the context of relationships. So let's look at another incident here with Mary. John chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to read the first six verses. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. 
And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he immediately left and went to their aid. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now I have to stop. I mean, that's a whole message in and of itself right there. And I have to resist going there. But th- that is kind of funny, isn't it? That, that seems totally opposite of what you would expect Jesus to do. Don't, don't prejudge things. Don't assume that because God didn't do what you thought he was supposed to do, that somehow God is, don't make a judgment on what God is doing. Don't make a judgment on God's love for you because God did not respond in the way you thought he should have. Let me just say that. God loves you. The scripture says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. At that point, the disciples argued with Jesus. Jesus, they want to kill you in Judea. Why are we going to Judea? But he went. And so, verse 32, Jesus has come to Bethany. Martha has come out and has met Jesus and said, Jesus, if you'd have been here, our brother would still be alive. But you were late getting here. And Jesus says, Martha, do you believe you believe in me? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe in you. I know you're the Christ. Turn over there. Look, look at this. This is in verse 22. John eleven twenty-two. But even now I know. She said, yes, Lord, I believe in you. Had you been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now catch this here. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection. See, resurrection is not just a future event we're waiting to have happen. The reality is, if you are in Christ, you are in the resurrection right now. You have, if you have been crucified with him, Paul said in Romans 6, if you were crucified with him, you were buried with him, and if you died with him, you were raised with him. Don't get hung up on this natural realm. It's why Paul told the Colossians, get your eyes off this natural realm, get your eyes off of earthly things, fix your eyes on Jesus, because the things of this earth are temporary, but the things that are of him are eternal. Yes, this body will pass away one day. Yes, this body will put on immortality one day. But I don't enter resurrection life and resurrection power when that day comes. When I was born again, I was crucified with him. I was raised with him. At the moment I was born again, I entered into his resurrection life. I entered into his resurrection power. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is not going to dwell in me one day when I get to heaven. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me right now. I walk in, I live in resurrection life and resurrection power. Say, well, Pastor Jeff, I sure don't feel like that and you sure don't look like that. Well, listen, don't don't live by your feelings. 
And don't walk by sight. The scripture says we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. Don't live by your sight. That's why I tell you every week, don't let the things that are happening in this world around you determine and dictate who you are. Because they don't define you. Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord of all, he is the one that defines you. You are identified with him if you are in Christ today. If you by faith have received Jesus Christ, your identity is not in this world. Your identity is in the resurrected one. I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, though this body, though his body may die, though his body may go asleep, he will live and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he says, do you believe this, Martha? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe. And then the scripture says that they went and they told Mary, Jesus is here and he calls for you. And the scripture says that Mary, as soon as she heard, verse 29, she arose and quickly came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, following her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Verse 32, Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him, and she fell down at his feet. Mary modeled, this is a model of prayer. Remember, Mary sent for Jesus. Martha sent for Jesus. Please come, our brother is sick. Remember, what is prayer? It's our communion. It's our relationship. It's our sharing with God. How do we relate to the Father? We relate to the Father how? In Jesus Christ. The only way we can approach the Father, Jesus said, is through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father but by me, Jesus said. So we relate to the Father in Jesus Christ. And so here is Mary. This is a model of prayer. Her communion with Christ. Remember, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, the scripture says. Jesus loved them. Do you realize that Jesus loved us first before we loved him? Can you imagine that perhaps Mary, do you think maybe Mary would have questioned the love of Jesus because Jesus delayed? I, the scripture doesn't say that Mary or Martha knew that Jesus had word and could have come but waited two days. I wonder though if as we are here looking back and we're reading that, had you sent word to Jesus to come to you and you would have known that Jesus waited two days before he came and your brother died, would you question the love Jesus would have for you? I think that would be a very human reaction for us to question God's love. But the reality is, see, our circumstance does not change the fact of his love. This is a revelation. This is a truth that we've got to grasp, church. I can teach it to you, I can preach it to you, but you have to catch this revelation and this truth that your circumstances do not define or dictate God's love 
for you. But if you're not careful, the enemy will come in and he will fill your mind with lies and he'll begin to tell you and define God's love for you based on the circumstances surrounding you. Don't allow that to happen because God's love transcends any circumstance. It transcends any situation that you could possibly find yourself in in this earthly, temporary realm. God's love is eternal. Paul said nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And Mary comes and she falls at the feet of Jesus And she says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Even though Mary did not have her prayer answered in the way she wanted, when she wanted, and how she wanted, nevertheless, Mary came to Christ. She fell at his feet. And she fell at his feet as a sign of her submission and and her faith in him. And she didn't, she made a very, she made a very accurate statement. See, we're reading this 2,000 some odd years later, and we can infer a lot into what Mary said, but I want you just to look at what the scripture records that Mary said. Don't read any more or don't read any less into it. Just look at what she said. She made a very true statement of faith. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And do you know why Jesus waited two days? Because... Jesus knew that had he been there, Lazarus would not have died. But he waited two days. Why? So that God would be glorified, so that the Son of God would be glorified in it. And what Mary said was very true. Lord, had you been here, my brother would not have died. It was an absolute statement of faith in Jesus Christ. She knew that Jesus had the power to heal her brother. She did not question Jesus in who he was. She had absolute faith that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. She sat at his feet. She knew him. She was conformed to him. She chose to be in relationship with him. And out of that relationship, Mary knew exactly who Jesus was. And she falls at his feet and she makes the statement. And falling at his feet was a sign of her submission to his will. Prayer is coming to the one who loved us first. Mary was able to come to Jesus and love Jesus because of Jesus' love for her. Prayer is coming to the one who loves us first. Don't ever forget that God loved you first. Prayer is coming to God. How? In faith, trusting him. Mary came to Jesus in faith and she made a declaration of her faith. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Prayer is coming to God, submitting to his will. She fell at the feet of Jesus. She humbled herself. She submitted himself, herself. Mary could have stayed in the house and she could have whined and she could have pouted and she could have said, I'm not coming out to see him. He should have gotten here sooner. I know he could have been here, but he didn't come and my brother is dead now. I don't want to see him. That's what we do with God, isn't it? When God doesn't do exactly what we want, exactly how we want, we often get upset with him and our relationship with him becomes conditional 
Well, I would have come out to meet you, Jesus, but now I don't want to because you didn't do what I asked you to do. You had the power, Jesus, to do it, but you didn't do it. Don't let your relationship with God be conditional. Prayer is coming to God, submitting to his will. In Mark 14, 36, it records Jesus in the garden. And he's praying to the Father. He said, Father, if this cup can pass from me, please allow it to pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. There was never any question in the mind of Jesus whether he would do the will of the Father. Jesus wasn't trying to weasel out of what he came to do. Jesus was not having second thoughts about going to the cross. Jesus in his humanity simply made a plea to the Father. If there is any other, if there is any other way, let this cup pass. But your will be done, not mine. Jesus never operated out of his own will. And see, this is what prayer is, church. Prayer is not moving God to align with our will. Prayer moves us into alignment with his will. It's why Jesus said in John 15, he said, ask what you will and it will be given unto you. Ask what you desire. Why? Because, because our desires should mirror his desires. Because our will should mirror his will. Because our prayers are his prayers. Remember the, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man? It's that in-working prayer. It's that prayer that brings me into alignment with his mind, with his will. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because me and the Father are one. When you hear me pray, you should hear Jesus pray. If you could read my thoughts, you should be reading the thoughts of Jesus. That is the conformity that God wants to bring us into. Where our desires and our mind conform to his. And don't try to make that a legalistic thing. That doesn't come from some legalistic effort. That doesn't come from your hard work. That doesn't come from beating yourself up and condemning yourself because my thoughts are, are, are straying again or my actions and these habits I have. I've fallen back into this old pattern. See, you beating yourself up is not going to change anything. It's you coming into relationship. It's you being in relationship. It's you loving God and accepting his love for you. It's you trusting that it's only by his grace. It's not by your works. It's not by your power because you don't have any. It's by his grace. And it's his grace that works in you. He knows how to bring you into conformity with his will. He knows how to bring you into conformity with his mind. He knows how to do that. Can you and can I trust him to perform that work by the Holy Spirit? Prayer is coming to God open and honestly. Mary fell at the feet of Jesus and she spoke what was right on her mind. Mary didn't come and she didn't put a face up. She didn't come with a facade. She was open and honest before Jesus and she said very plainly, had you been here, Lord, my brother would not have died. And it's the truth. But because Mary was in such relationship with Jesus, she could come openly and honestly and make such a declaration to him. She was not hesitant to fall at his feet. Though she knew he was the Lord. 
Though I believe, she believed that he was the Messiah. She had such relationship with Jesus that she could come and fall at his very feet. She came without condition. And the result of our praying should always be what? It should always be the Son of God glorified through it. Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death for the glory of God, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The result of our praying should always be the Son of God glorified through it. The result of our life, everything in our life, ultimately should be the Son of God glorified through it. Whether you want to believe it or not, whether you realize it or not, you are created for God's glory and you are here for His glory. And your life, your prayers, everything you do, everything you are, is for the glory of the Son of God. Mary's relationship with Christ was real, it was personal, it was not surface. We are so good at surface relationships. We are so good at putting up facades and faces and pretending to be something that we're really not. And the, the reality is we only fool our, we're only fooling ourselves. We're not fooling God. You, even if you fool other people, you're still not fooling God. Meditate on these scriptures and see the open and the honest relationship Mary had with Jesus. That is the type of relationship God wants you to have with him. There's nothing you can hide from God. There's no reason not to be honest with God. There's nothing you can say to God that's going to cause God to reject you. God's never going to say, you know what, I'm done with you. I'm tired of you failing. You try and you try and you try and you keep telling me every time, this time, Lord, it's going to be the real deal. This time, God, I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to mess up. But every time you mess up and every time you go back and you know what, I'm just done with you. God will never say that to you. See, that's what the enemy wants us to believe God will do. But, but you need to realize this very fundamental truth. You weren't looking for God when God found you. You were the enemy of God when he saved you. When Jesus hung on the cross, you, you, you didn't even exist, but you existed in him. You didn't know him, but he knew you. And he knows you today. And he loves you by grace. Not because you deserve it, not because I deserve it. Does that give us a license to go out and do anything we want? Because God's going to love me no matter what I do. You're right, God will love you no matter what you do. But that's not a license to go out and live your life any way you want. It's actually a license now to come out of sin, to come out of death, and to come into life. By his grace, he's enabled you to come out of sin, to come out of death, and to come into life. And if you have come into life in the Son, why would you want to live in any other manner except in the manner that would honor and revere him and reflect who he is? Mary's relationship was characterized by great love, great faith, and great submission. Great honesty. And that's what God wants ours to be. Now turn to John chapter 12, just a, a page or so over, and let's look at another account of Mary. 
in her relationship with Jesus. John chapter 12, verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. Then Mark took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his hair with her hair. I'm sorry, wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he used to steal from the money box. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. And I want you to see here in this incident between Mary and Jesus that Mary modeled true worship. And what what is worship? It's our adoration for God. She modeled true worship. She showed her adoration for Christ. To adore means to worship, to honor, to revere with extreme devotion and fondness. Or we could say with love. To worship, to honor, and revere with extreme devotion, fondness, and love. Remember, our relationship with Christ cannot be based on fear. It can be, but it's not going to last. Our relationship with Christ must come out of love. Because he loved us first, so now we are able to love him in return. Fear will only carry you so far. Fear will lose its power over you if love does not come into play. Because it's out of love. It's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. And Mary here in this incident, she modeled her love, her true adoration and devotion for Jesus. True worship is offered, church, out of love. And Mary took something very costly. Some say that that alabaster jar full of ointment was worth up to a year's wages in those days. Very, very costly. True worship is very costly. The reality is it cost our life. More than that, it cost Jesus his life. For you to be able to worship Jesus, it was very costly. It cost Jesus his life. Do you realize that had Jesus not given his life for you and me, You, nor would I, be able to worship him. True worship is very costly. And it says that Mary came in and she anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And this is a picture of total humility. Jesus was sitting at this table. Mary comes in. She breaks open that alabaster jar. And she anoints the head of Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew and Mark says. But John records something more than the anointing of his head. It records that she anointed his feet and wiped his very feet with her hair. As a sign of total humility in her worship. Before the Lord. True worship is offered in humility. When she broke that vessel, she released the oil, the contents of that vessel, and she anointed the feet of Jesus. She anointed Jesus with that 
oil that was inside of that. But I want you to realize, it doesn't say that she unscrewed the lid, that she popped the cork off. It says that she broke the jar. And in breaking that jar, do you realize that that jar had no purpose any longer that it could be used for? That jar had one purpose and one purpose alone. It was for the worship of Jesus. And God uses broken vessels. That's why the scripture says, a broken heart, a broken spirit, and a contrite heart, God will not reject. Because when we come to the Lord broken, the significance of that is exactly seen right here with this alabaster jar. That jar, once broken, could never be used for anything else. Once broken, that jar lost its purpose to be used for anything other than anointing Jesus. Once broken, that jar could only be used for one thing, and that was the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why God wants you and I to come to him broken, because he wants our lives to have no other purpose. See, what happens when we withhold from God It's like we've got the jar, and we've put Jesus' name, we've labeled the jar for Jesus. But the reality is, until I break that jar, and I pour it over Jesus, I could take that jar, and I could use it for something else. I could sell it and give the money to the poor, and I could perhaps justify that instead of wasting it and pouring it out all over the floor, even though it was for Jesus, look what I've done for Jesus, i fed a lot of poor people with the contents of that jar. But see, that's not what that jar was for. And that's not what you're for. You can do a lot of things, but I'm telling you what, you have one purpose, and that one purpose is to be in relationship with God. Your life was created for worship. That you, through your life, would worship God. Not just sing songs on Sunday morning, but I'm telling you the way you live your life. Your lifestyle be a lifestyle of worship. That through your life, your adoration and your honor for God would come out. It would just be who you are. And that we would recognize that we were created for no other purpose except that. She broke the vessel. She released the oil. And she ensured that that could never be used for any other purpose. True worship is offered from a broken vessel. Mary filled the house with the fragrance of the oil. True worship has a fragrance that fills the house. What house? This building? No, this house. See, you are the house of God. Remember, we did a series on this. You are the dwelling place of God. You are the house of God. And when you worship the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a fragrance that fills the house. I mean, we got people trying to get smoke and fire and, and, and all kinds of things to manifest inside of our buildings. And we think we've done something when that happens. I'm telling you what, the devil can do that. You hear me? Do You hear me? The devil can manifest all kinds of signs, but I'm going to tell you what. Well, I'll tell you what the devil cannot do. The devil cannot fill this house with the fragrance of worship. He can't do it. He can, he can fill this house with smoke. 
He can fill this house with fire. He can create all kinds of signs and wonders. And you can think it's God or you, you, I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But when this house is filled with, with the fragrance of worship, you can bet one thing, no one did that but God. Amen. No one did that but God. And when this house is filled with the fragrance of worship, I'm telling you what, that fragrance will permeate and fill everywhere we go. When Moses came down off of that mountain, he had the glow that came from being in the presence of God. And the scripture says that Moses wore a veil because the, the, the glow was diminishing. And he didn't want to, the children of Israel to see that the glow was diminishing. I'm telling you what, the presence that we carry, the presence of God that we carry, it does not diminish. And when we come before the Lord, when we worship him, there is a fragrance that fills the house and it will not diminish it will not but the question is will we choose that good part it's a costly thing are you willing to pay the cost mary poured this oil out and as soon as she poured it out one rose up judas iscariot and he said hey 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 what are you doing mary you could have taken that and sold it and that money could have been used for the poor he didn't care about the poor he just wanted to rob from god but I want you to see this, that true worship will provoke a response from the enemy. True worship will provoke the enemy. Do you realize that that's why Satan fell to begin with? Because he was the one that desired to be worshipped. And when he sees not just you worshipping God, but when now he has come to understand, he made a horrible miscalculation at the cross. He thought he had defeated God at the cross when in reality... God played him like a fiddle. And now because of what was done at the cross of Jesus Christ, not only is Jesus alive and resurrected, but God has now filled the earth with his presence and we have all become temples of the living God. And now he has to live with the reality that, that the presence of God, the adoration of God that he desired to have, God has now filled these human vessels. Mere jars of clay. Read what the scripture says about Satan, how he was created. He was the most beautiful angel created. And did God pick the most beautiful angel created? No. God picked plain old dirt jars. <laughs> I mean, it provokes him. He does not like it. Your worship will provoke the enemy, but here I've got good news. You see that when Mary poured that oil out and Judas rose up, Mary did not say one word to defend her actions. But guess who did? Jesus did. See, your worship will provoke the enemy, but I'm going to tell you what, your worship will also evoke God to rise up in your defense. You won't have to defend yourself. You don't have to justify yourself. You don't have to explain why you do what you do. You don't have to, to explain to anybody why you love God so much. Well, aren't you a little bit radical with that religion? You know, you can be too religious. Yes, you're right. You can be too religious, but you sure can't love Jesus too much. Mary did not defend herself, but Jesus rose up. It evoked a defense from Jesus. And Jesus said... The poor you will always have with you, but, 
but, but I won't always be with you here. And Mary had kept that for Jesus and only for Jesus. True worship, true worship is for God. True worship is in Christ. Remember Jesus with the woman at the well? The Samaritan woman? They're having a conversation. They're talking theology. Like she's going to tell Jesus something. And she says, well, you know, Jesus, you Jews worship in Jerusalem, but us Samaritans, we worship on the mountain here. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, God is the Spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The day is coming, and now is, when, though, when God will seek who? The true worshipers. Who are the true worshipers? Those who worship God in spirit and in truth. That's not a method. That's not a style. That is the reality that the only way I can possibly worship the true and living God is to be where? In the spirit. And how do I become in the spirit? By being in Christ. The only way I can worship the true and living God is to be in the truth. And the truth isn't a philosophy. The truth isn't a set of precepts that I try to follow and memorize. The truth is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And if I'm not in Jesus Christ, I cannot worship God. I can worship all kinds of things, but I'm not going to worship the true and living God. Except one way, to be in spirit and to be in truth. And the only, place, the only way I can be there is to be in Christ. Is to be in Christ. True worship is in Christ. And true worship has no other purpose except that the Son of God be glorified in it. Discipleship is conforming to Christ without distraction. Prayer is our communion with Christ in faith without condition. Don't put conditions on God. True prayer. Prayer is us coming to God without condition. Because He is Lord. And He loves you. Regardless of what you see happening around you. His love for you is eternal. It does not change. It does not diminish. It does not. Worship is offering yourself in humility, without defense, coming openly and honestly before the Lord, letting all the walls, letting all the facades, letting all the faces go and coming open and laying yourself at the feet of Jesus and humbling yourself at his feet in pure worship. These three together define they help define our relationship. They're, the, they're, they're the, the fundamental building blocks of how we express relationship. It's not just one thing. It's not just, it's not just each of these things becoming some mechanical thing I perform. But, but they're the essence of the one thing of my relationship with Jesus Christ. If I'm in relationship, I'm going to grow to know him. And that growth will be a life process that I will enter into out of my love for him. Out of relationship with him, I have a communion with him, a sharing, a fellowship with him that comes no other way. It's not based on my need. It's not based on how much he's blessed me. It's simply based on the fact that he loves me and now he has given me the privilege of loving him in return. And it's that communion and it's that sharing 
that I have with God. Out of what? Out of a relationship of love. And my worship is not an act I commit at certain times during the week, but it is my lifestyle. It is my life proclaiming my adoration and my love for Jesus Christ. That everything in my life, to the best of my ability, is to honor him. And also knowing that when I fail because my best is not good enough, and your best is not good enough, but Jesus Christ, his best, it was good enough. And it's realizing that I have the grace of God to fall upon. And his grace covers me. And his grace is sufficient for me. For in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. Relationship. It is the one thing needed. Knowing Christ. And we must choose, just like Mary, that good part. And the promise of God is, it will not be taken away from you. Remember, they can take everything, but they can never take your relationship with God. They can't do it. They can strip you of everything you have, but they can never take away your relationship. They can never separate you from the love of God. They can never take the reality of knowing Jesus away from you. And that is the greatest, most powerful truth and reality that we possess. That's why Paul says it supersedes everything that's of this earth, everything that is temporary. Fix your eyes on those things that are above, those things which are eternal, because those are the things that shall remain. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So I want to ask you today, first of all, is there anyone here and you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? You've never entered into the type of relationship that we're talking about. And you'd be honest and you'd say, Pastor Jeff, I don't, I don't believe that I've ever really entered into that type of relationship. If you were to stand before the Lord right now, would you be accepted because you have come into relationship with Jesus Christ or have you been trying to do it through your works or through some other form or method? If you're here and you say, I want to come into relationship with Jesus Christ, then would you raise your hand? Is there anyone? Now, I know it's kind of a scary thing. You know, you say, aren't, 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 are you supposed to have everybody bow their head and close their eyes? Well, I don't know. I just feel like if you're, if you're at a point, see, if you're, you just need to be at a point where you're ready to do it. If I, can I say this? Come hell or high water. Doesn't really matter. To come to a place where I don't really care what people think. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Because we all need Jesus. And if that's you and you say, I need Jesus and I want to receive him today. If there's anyone here, you've never done that, would you raise your hand? Anyone, anyone, anyone. Let's all stand. Now I'm going to say this. You receiving Jesus, you don't have to do it in a church. You can do it anywhere. It's something that comes from your heart. But in receiving Jesus, if that reality takes place in your heart, that, that reality of your heart accepting and embracing the Lord Jesus Christ, that reality must come to be seen. It must come to fruition. If, if you don't allow that to happen, the enemy's going to use you and abuse you. Be bold in your faith. Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ.
But if you're going to talk the talk, walk the walk. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. And if you're here today and you need prayer, I'll be happy to pray with you. But I also want to invite you to come to the altars. The altars are always open. And I just want you to bow your heads right now. I just want you to, to think. I'm going to ask you a question. Mary modeled discipleship. She chose relationship over distraction. She modeled prayer. She came to Jesus open and honest with, 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 with no facade, with nothing there hindering her. She worshiped the Lord in total humility. She didn't defend herself. There was nothing between her and Jesus that kept her from coming to him. I want to ask you today, are there things in your life that are distracting you? Are there things in your life that are standing between you and the Lord that are hindering your relationship with him? And if there is, I know the Holy Spirit will reveal that to you. Now the question is, what are you going to do with that reality? If there are things, what are you going to do with those things? Can you release those? Can you cast those things onto the Lord? Can you cast those cares on Him because He cares for you? And can you come with just an unhindered relationship? And I would just ask you today before you leave, whether you do it right where you are or whether you come to this altar, if there are things that are hindering your relationship, that you deal with those things. That you deal with those. And you let the Spirit of God do a work in you. If there's things you need to let go, let go. If there's things you need to lay down, lay them down. Whatever it is. Father, I just ask you right now, to deal with us by your Spirit. Lord, whatever may be happening in our life, whatever God may be going on in our life, to hinder our relationship with you, God, that you reveal that, and you, in your grace, God, help us to deal with those things. Lord, it's fine to come and hear a message and to hear a teaching about this or about that. But God, if we do not come to a place where we allow the Spirit of God to, to work in us, Lord, if we live... Lord, in denial, if we live, God, resisting what it is that you desire to do in us and through us. Lord, you paid too high a price for us just to, to come weekly and hear messages. Lord, there is a work you desire to do in us. And Lord, I know you work all the time, 24-7. But Father, this is a time where we're conscious and we're focused on that work taking place within us. And Lord, this is an opportunity for us to come in humility and in submission to the feet of Jesus just like Mary did. Lord, and if there are things that we have that we need to release, that we would release those to you. And know, God, that your love for us transcends anything. That you paid a price for us, God, to live in freedom, to live in the liberty and the life of the Spirit. Lord, deal with us by your spirit. Father, we ask today, Lord, bless your people. I pray, God, that they would be filled with your joy as they go from this place. The joy of knowing 
your love, and your salvation. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Give the Lord a good hand. You're welcome to come to this altar, spend as much time as you need, or spend some time right there, but let the Lord do what he desires to do in you. Amen.